0: This is a podcast from Cambridge Assessment. For more downloads, visit cambridgeassessment.org.uk.
1: Thank you very much indeed. It's uh, an honour to be here this morning in in front of such a a distinguished group of educationalists. And I suppose I, as you've heard, come very much from the world of employment. Um, The JCB uh, Academy has been a fascinating Germany, which I've been privileged to be part of. It took four years to actually develop to the point where we opened it in September 2010. So we've actually been open 17 months, and I just want to um, give you an overview of where we are and how we've got there. First of all, the catalyst was that we've been involved, as some of you know, for many years with education, and we have had a, a, a a continual stream of young people coming through JCB. But we realised very quickly uh, in uh, the mid-2000s that uh, the numbers were falling off and the, and the calibre was falling off and we had to do something different. And I discovered that this was very similar to the experiences of our uh, colleagues in Rolls-Royce, Toyota and others in the, uh, in the locality. But we were privileged to have a chairman... Uh, Sir Anthony Bamford, who owns JCB, who's a great visionary, and he was invited by the Department of Education to sponsor a city academy. We looked at it and realized that that was not most probably what we wanted to do but we had developed a model which we felt would meet the needs of the uh, industry and engineering nationally in general because Anthony has always said that he is prepared to invest in the creation of the next generation of young engineers. So what was our vision? And our vision was to develop two things. Employable young people that our colleagues would recognize and invite and want to come and work for them, as young people, and at the same time, we wanted to achieve the excellence of the academic standards that would, uh, would have to be taken as read. Um, those employable characteristics, they may seem like buzzwords to some of you, but they, I could unpack those if we had time or we haven't, uh, which, would, uh, which mean a, a lot to us, and uh, we understand the meaning of them. So what influenced our curriculum model? First question, I suppose, we we have to ask this morning. And I suppose the the embryo of it was when I was happening observing uh, a group of young 14-, 15-year-olds from some of the local schools, and they were being shown how we use geometry in uh, a nesting process that we use within the factory. And I was just watching their reactions. And I all of a sudden saw two or three who was looking at each other and saying, now that makes sense. Now I understand why we're learning geometry. And to me, that was a real seminal moment. I'm sure some of you have had it in different ways. So I went out, and we talked to many employers. We talked to colleges, universities, parents, teachers, and students. And the result that I came up with was that we wanted something which was going to employ applied learning in the broadest sense of that word. And Jim Wade, our principal, who has achieved amazing things in the last uh, couple of few years, uh, has coined this expression that he doesn't want any child ever to ask, why am I learning this? So how do we achieve this vision and how do we look at our curriculum? We basically... uh, held uh, a series of two and a half day curriculum uh, conferences and we invited to those conferences employer representatives those who were to be our partners and richard from um, the national grid is here this morning uh, teachers who were uh, we had experience of working with partner universities fe colleges ocr brought a number of people there and we also had the specialists from the local education authority in the core subjects of maths and English and science, etc. And we had decided that we were going to uh, use as a vehicle each term a challenge or a project, a robust, very rigorous industrial type project upon which we would map across the curriculum that we were going to deliver. And this, these conferences, I believe, were very, very important, and we came away from there with a structure which then we could put some flesh upon. To just give you a little bit of background, the teaching day at the JCB Academy it starts at half past eight and finishes at four o'clock on Mondays and Fridays, but on f- at five o'clock on uh, Tuesday, Wednesdays, and Thursdays. And that is when we have our extension <coughs> options, which are compulsory. But that means that students have to get on buses at most probably quarter past seven in the morning, some of them from the furthest extremities of the four local authorities that we're dealing with, and uh, they don't get back until maybe quarter past six in the evening. So there's an enormous amount of commitment. Even if we can't select, we certainly uh, have some self-selection in that. So the curriculum at Key Stage 4 that we developed was based upon the engineering diploma and a business qualification. We also in, included um, the performing engineering operations so that youngsters could have some practical foundation skills to their, um, their portfolio. They also undertook the, other, uh, the, the GCSEs and the other entitlement subjects. But how do we deliver it? We basically said, right, engineering is the foundation, but engineering in isolation becomes a hobby and it often ends up in bank- bankruptcy. So it has to be within the context of business. And so those two things were very, very fundamental to our basis of our curriculum. But then we mapped across onto that how we could deliver maths as applied into those two areas in these projects, in these challenges. And similarly with ICT, science, English, and German. And I'll give you some examples in a moment. So that is how we, we t- decided to deliver it. And these are the modules or challenges that we would do in our five, eight-week terms. And they are practical business engineering challenges. The first one was a four-by-four off-road vehicle. The next one was network rail using computers in the control of of, um, level crossings and points. The Rolls-Royce one was looking at fuel pumps within the Trent 900 engine, which powers the Airbus. And even though we only get them to make very small pumps, they are still pumps. And they are able to uh, be used as an example in maths of how they uh, learn about volumes, about areas, and about all sorts of things such as that. In science, the fuels, the power the pressures, etc., And in English, instead of giving them just an extended English essay on any subject, uh, we asked them to do it on the development of the jet engine by Whittle. And so therefore, it was integrated and they saw the relevance of so much of it as they were learning. We then did, uh, we do a project then with the institutions about the world of, uh, and, uh, of engineering and electronic systems, engineered solutions, as far as then they have to manufacture these pumps in Term 5. We do a maintenance on the JCB um, engine and uh, various other projects. These are our partners, and they have been phenomenal in their support and work with us. We have them owning their projects, so that when they actually come and deliver the projects alongside our teachers, they actually have an ownership and a pride in it, and it is working so very, very well. The post-16, we do the advanced diplomas at the moment in engineering, and international business, and then a range of A levels. And because we are only a 60, 600, and we will be when we are finished, when we are full, a 600 uh, student school, uh, we have a very good relationship with the local uh, high school, where we can provide other A levels if they want. The learning environment, as some of you know, has been uh, an incredible uh, achievement of trying to convert this Arkwright, the third factory ever built in the world by Arkwright, um, into a a modern, excellent uh, environment. What are our students like? First of all, unfortunately, 90% male. We want more ladies in there. Uh, We could talk about that but uh, let's move on. 36% special educational needs. Uh, Most of those are dyslexic, which is not uncommon in the world of engineering. Uh, For some reason, uh, dyslexic engineers make very good engineers. But when we actually looked at the cognitive ability tests, we realized that we had a very, very normal distribution uh, within our first year intake. And yet... What we achieve, and this is, remember, only 17 months into from, from day zero, that the linear e- early entry in maths, for instance, 73% of cohort have currently achieved a C grade or above. Modular entry, another 14% uh, are currently on a C grade, which means that we will most probably get 87%, uh, something like that, at a C grade at the end of this year. Um, So it has been, and we've got, we've done the functional skills in English, and we've got 90% uh, at a level two in that. And so the students are clearly learning very effectively, as we have been advised by Ofsted last week when they came in for a progress. So what have been the challenges? Finishing now. What have been the challenges? The engineering diploma, some of you know about that, designing the most appropriate qualifications and assessment methods, hence what we're talking about this morning, Uh, some of those others you can read. I hope that gives you a flavour for where we are and what our journey's been like. Thank you.
2: Fascinating. Thank you very much, Paul.
0: Andrew. Good morning. Um, What I'd like to talk about a little bit today is how Parkside Foundation Academies works in Cambridge and how we try and meet the conflict demands of curriculum, pedagogy and what students want to learn. Just a bit about our context first of all. As we said, we have currently two secondary schools and one primary school. We've opened a sixth form this summer and in a couple of years' time there'll be a third school all within the area of central Greater Cambridge. So we have students learning with us from the age of 3 all the way up to the age of 18. Over the next couple of years as well, we're bidding to open a university technical college with a couple of other partners in Cambridge as well, so we'll be picking up on some of the lessons learned from there. So as a federation, if we've got learners joining us and working with us from the ages of of 3 to 18, what do those learners experience? As they go through that time, they'll be entered for a range of different assessments. When they, entered, when they come into the primary school, there'll be phonics tests. As they go through, they'll be doing SATs. As they work through with us at the age of 16, they'll be doing a range of qualifications, GCSEs. We've entered a number of students for national diplomas. It um, remains to be seen after today's announcement which one of those we'll still be using, I suppose. We also run a range of international GCSEs because we weren't confident that the English GCSEs at the time, particularly in science and English, were offering what we wanted. And then at post-16, we've started to offer the International Baccalaureate to an International Baccalaureate World School. And we also offer a range of Level 3 diplomas as well in areas such as performing arts, um, health and social care, and so on. So over the course of their time with us, students will be working in a range of different contexts. They'll be taking a range of different assessments. But what we want to do is to ensure that as they're in our schools they have a common experience and they learn a a range of skill sets. One of the things we've looked at in particular has been to understand how we can get that coherence across the curriculum. Delivering the International Baccalaureate Diploma, 16 to 19 Diploma, that has at its heart the, the IB learner profile. And you see the picture there and the ball the girls catching, the different elements of that IB learner profile that go together. We want our learners to be risk-takers, to be knowledgeable, principled, balanced, communicators, reflective, caring, thinkers, open-minded, and inquirers. And they're just sort of the headline elements. But they're the different things we're going to be looking for as the students work their way through. And we're going to be using that as a stimulus for our discussion as to how that works from the ages of three through to the age of 18. It's not difficult to pick up a curriculum. It's not difficult to decide the sort of program of study you're going to follow. Between the ages of 11 and 14, we're going to be picking up the international middle years curriculum, which is a national international curriculum available, and it allows you to implement it regularly within the school. It's not difficult to look at the different exam boards and decide on the examination syllabus you want to take, put that in place, and you develop relatively quickly a curriculum. What's more complicated is making sense of that, making sense of it, making coherence of all those different elements. How can the experience of a student following a range of subjects such as English and Math GCSEs, perhaps doing some national diplomas, some functional skills, how can that be coherent? How can we make sure that their experience with us over those years is something that they take with them? You have to add to that as well that the students aren't just learning necessarily in the classroom with our teachers. We've got a number of students who might be learning on online programs. Some of our students have medical needs, they're not able to come into school, and we deliver online learning for them with a range of partners as well. So if you put all these different elements together, what are we trying to do, what are we trying to achieve? As people have said earlier, it's important that exams and assessments don't drive the curriculum. It's important that the two sit together. We've always tried to resist within the Federation schools the sort of washback effect of what we teach being dictated by what the students will set. And that's particularly the case, I think, when you look at the way in which learning is changing around the world. You look at um, online provisions such as the Khan Academy, where students can pick up lessons and go through a whole programme of study without any reference to school and still learn many of the things that they need to learn. So in that context, what what does it mean to have a curriculum, and what does it mean to actually be at a school. If schools are to be institutions of the future as well as institutions of the past, I think it's important we understand what it is about attending a physical location, coming into a school where there are teachers working in classrooms with students, that makes it different from other forms of learning and are valuable are future-proof. It's not going to be the only way in which students will learn. It won't be the only way in which students will be assessed. It isn't already, and and the changes are likely to grow. For us, it's very important that we have that sense of what we're going to be about. We will be opening the new school in 2015, and that's really providing a catalyst and a sort of driver for our curriculum thinking. We've done a number of visits around this country and abroad, We've been to the Esser Academy up in Bolton to look at how they're using technology, particularly Apple technology, to change the curriculum. We went over to Denmark to look at schools in Copenhagen, such as Hellerup and Odestad, where they're working on a very different approach to the curriculum. And what we're trying to do is put all these different elements together over the time to make sense of what we're doing with us. But one of the things we're doing quite differently and quite radically over the next few years is to really engage with the student voice. Most people so far have talked about a curriculum as something that's given to the students. It's something we decide is what must be learnt and it's something we decide that needs to be embedded within the school. There are national curriculums, there are international curricula, there are a range of different curricula that are developed, usually as a result of excessive research. What we're trying to do is to put into that mix the student viewpoint and we've established something called a student commission and we've got about 60 learners from across our two or three schools who are going to be acting as researchers and investigators into what we do and trying to put together, from their perspective, the sort of curriculum that they think is the sort of curriculum that will engage learners throughout their time at school. So that, co- that commission has a two-year lifespan. The 60 students will be working on it during that time, and they conduct first-year is a research programme to look at what currently goes on in school, how our curricula work together, what international and national precedents there are for what we do, and to come up with recommendations and come up with possibilities for the future. There are also going to be experimenters. We're using iPad technology, so all the students will be giving iPads to look at how that changes learning and changes the the dynamic of the curriculum. We're also looking at how the curriculum is affected by styles of learning, how the classroom works, we're experimenting with concepts such as shoes-off learning, where the students always take off their shoes before they come into the classroom. In some areas of the world, that's quite normal. In England, it's quite a different approach. But it does change learning. We're looking at classrooms where, instead of having a textbook, an interactive whiteboard, the wall is painted, and the students write on the wall and take the photograph of the learning when they finished and capture it and save it online. So we're looking at a curriculum which is different. It actually takes from published curricula, takes from examination syllabuses, uses those effectively, but has at its heart something which is very different, something which is focused on a learner profile, something that recognizes that for the world of the future, we need to develop learners with knowledge, and knowledge is going to be important, but knowledge and how to use that knowledge, and to have a profile of a learner that equips you the future is something that we're focused on, and we think will be the key driver for our students. And we want it to be the thing that will make a difference. If they've been through Parkside Federation Academies, if they've stayed with us for five, seven, ten years or more, what is it they take with them? Are they going to be students who are internationally competitive? Are they going to be students who are confident learners? And will there be students that have used a curriculum to deliver a love of lifelong learning? Thank you.
2: Thank you very much, Andrew. Again, fascinating. And then our final speaker for the morning, Dr. Stephen Spur. Thank you very much indeed. Um, I'm going to be talking from the individual point of view of uh, my school. As we heard a little earlier on, it's a highly academically selective school, a boarding and a day school, which has the extended day uh, uh, that we were hearing about the JCB Academy, but also an extended week as well. We are there at um, Westminster, admirers of um, the work of uh, Cambridge Assessment, and um, very pleased to be making a contribution to your thinking today. Uh, quite a lot of the talk This morning has been about uh, purpose or vision, and we believe that uh, greatly too. I suppose because the school has been going for a bit longer than the two uh, schools we've been just hearing from earlier, um, we look back a little bit further, even further back perhaps in the 19th century headmaster of Eton that Simon referred us to earlier on. That's what he said to the pupils uh, when one mother asked him what he was uh, preparing her son for, uh, he replied, um, death, Madam, death. Uh, That is the ultimate reductionist approach to uh, education. Uh, Queen Elizabeth I had a slightly more forward-looking view, which uh, we uh, believe resonates uh, with us, even though written 450 years ago. One or two of the things we take from that is that education is guiding pupils through adolescence to responsible adulthood at Westminster. Therefore, the curriculum should be much more inclusive than a formal taught curriculum. We worry about what it means to be liberally educated. Uh, My pupils have a different view from me on that. Um, But while concentrating firstly, on pupils' personal development and fulfilment, their education should ultimately be of some service for the public good, is what we continue to believe. We've heard also about the international perspective today, and I think that is increasingly uh, important. So while we look back, if you like, to Elizabeth I, we also look forward... In the 21st century, a global perspective uh, is very necessary. So in designing our curriculum, we take note of the curriculum priorities adopted by the most successful schools in other countries. We also take careful note of the subject knowledge, skills, and standards of achievement expected of applicants to the top global universities worldwide and in the U.K., And we also think about the other broader skills and understanding required to maintain competitive advantage on the world stage. How do we define the curriculum, therefore? Well, with this vision of Elizabeth I and looking ahead with the international perspective, it probably uh, won't surprise you to know that we talk about an overall curriculum I suppose today I'm going to concentrate mainly on the formal taught curriculum because I think that's what uh, the conference is really about. But um, that is, as it were, one part of what we try to do. Um, It's quite complex, of course, to ensure coherence if you look at your curriculum quite as widely as that. But one of the safeguards to its coherence is the fact that the same staff, the same teachers, interacts with the pupils in every aspect of that curriculum as teachers, pastoral tutors, sports coaches, leaders of expeditions, supporters of concerts and plays, etc. And what we try to do in creating the overall experience is to create this interdependent community of teachers and pupils, Teachers look at development of their pupils from several perspectives, therefore, and each pupil's formative experience is thus developed and nurtured in complementary ways. I said I'm going to talk uh, really only about the formal taught curriculum, but perhaps I could say something about this broader academic and cultural curriculum because uh, it is in this area uh, where and taking one of the previous speakers' views, importantly, we get the pupils, we motivate the pupils to take the lead. Uh, so um, in this uh, broader academic and curriculum, uh, cultural curriculum outside of the classroom, uh, the pupils organise and contribute to their academic and cultural societies. Uh, they do research essays, projects and presentations, They have involved themselves in individual ways and collaborative competitions, national and international. They're constantly organising lectures, debates, conferences, concerts and plays. You get the picture, but it's important that the pupils beyond the formal taught curriculum are taking the lead in developing themselves and working with their teachers. I put up the formal taught curriculum, the basic structure at Westminster, um, uh, it's there as a matter of record. Um, all subjects are taught to all pupils in year nine, which is when we start, thus giving them a shared experience. Um, then we start on some specialization in year 10, and that is the point when a second modern language is introduced, a second modern language being either Spanish. German or Russian. Um, Then during years 9 and 10, pupils also select from a broadening, mainly non-examined set of courses and a wider range of languages beyond the 36 lessons per week. Then we get further specialization in year 11 and pupils take 10 or 11 subjects at GCSE or IGCSE. When they get into the um, years 12 and 13, They are taking four A-levels, sometimes five A-levels. We have a mixed economy of A-levels and Cambridge pre-use. And in year 12, there is again this course of broadening non-examined subjects. I thought it might be useful just to touch on some of the principles then behind the design of the formal taught curriculum in years 9 to 11 and then years 12 uh, to 13, Perhaps listening to some of the earlier speakers, I I should say that we do divide the curriculum into traditional-sounding subjects. But uh, in doing so, the teaching always aims to show how much modern research stems from where those traditional subjects overlap. Let's take biology and mathematics, bioinformatics, biochemistry or they reinforce uh, mutual understanding such as in history and geography. That is terribly important, but we do stick to the traditional subjects. Um, As I say, uh, gradual specialization, uh, but uh, at all points when we're thinking about what choices to make and how to specialize, we think of where that pupil might end up at university and what sorts of courses he or she wishes to read, Uh, and work back from that so we get a sense of coherent pathway uh, going forward. Specialization, we find, and this is a point, I suppose, between breadth and balance, and then moving on to the question of if you specialize, it allows you to get greater breadth through depth, and the specialization allows us not to overcrowd the curriculum. You might have noticed that Latin and ancient Greek uh, are included in that year nine curriculum for everyone, along with a modern language. And I suppose the thinking behind that is that Latin and Greek are included to give a good introduction to Western culture as a whole. And Latin and Greek, ancient languages alongside one modern language, gives a linguistic foundation to pupils for whatever language they will need to learn at any point in their life. That's the thinking behind that. Um, Perhaps I could say something also about the practical and creative subjects. We're a great believer at Westminster in practical subjects. Uh, It is um, a highly academic school, uh, but uh, we stick uh, to our guns. Uh, Sometimes uh, um, when parents ask us why, in, uh, in ensuring that um, pupils do all take at least one practical subject uh, to develop skills beyond the purely academic. And I suppose when we get into years 12 and 13, then when uh, pupils are doing four, sometimes five A levels uh, or pre use, um, again, that specialization. Uh, allows us, uh, allows pupils to get their depth through the breadth. Um, the timetabling in years 12 and 13 is designed to permit as many subject choices as possible to enable both very considerable specialization, for languages, for example, or uh, 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 three sciences, uh, maths, further maths, to get the, allows the very considerable specialisation, but also the broader mix of arts, sciences, and humanities. If a pupil wants to do that, if wants to do that, but always the proviso that valid options are created for university study. One notable feature of the broadening non-examined subjects in years 12 and 13 are the courses designed to promote global perspectives and cross-cultural understanding in keeping with the international outlook that I mentioned earlier on. And teaching throughout the curriculum always aims to convey the necessary subject knowledge in an inspirational way and to instill the love of learning that uh, two previous speakers mentioned. And I guess at Westminster, we don't talk so much about teaching and learning. We talk about teaching... For learning. We teach the pupils to get them to learn and know how to learn, which I think is going to, was one of the important life skills that the two previous speakers mentioned. Uh, to conclude then, and I think this is, seems to be chiming uh, with what others have been saying, um, we do not design our curriculum uh, according to examination syllabuses, partly, I suppose, because we go back to that tradition which Simon was uh, referring to a little earlier on, a tradition which existed long before public examination syllabuses. We first determine what we believe is a, might call it a Westminster curriculum, the knowledge and skills appropriate to each age and stage, subject by subject. We then select... A syllabus, and the syllabus I'm talking about is the public examination syllabus. We then select a syllabus that best fits into that curriculum and which will most effectively test at least some of what has been learned. Thus, the examination syllabuses are neither the building blocks of the curriculum nor do we allow them to over determine what we teach. We use these principles uh, when choosing, for example, when we chose IGCSE science, which one of the previous speakers mentioned, uh, over the national GCSEs when they were introduced. Uh, those principles also lie behind the choice of Cambridge Pre-U rather than A-levels, which, and we've adopted the Cambridge Pre-Us in modern languages and the humanities, or slightly uh, uh, more broadly, uh, still, those principles lie behind choosing pre use and A levels uh, rather than the IB. Thank you very much.